Somali and I were driving into Knoxville yesterday evening for a comedy show. Nate Bargetsy, so good. He's got a special on Netflix. I guess I'm advertising now. On our way in, however, I thought we were going to die. It had rained earlier in the day, and by that time it was clear, but the road was glassy. As we came around a curving part of I-40, the full blast of the setting sun, reflecting off the pavement like a mirror, blasted our windshield. And we were blinded. It might have been only a few seconds, but at 65 miles per hour, that feels like an eternity. So I made my way over to the right lane, slowed down until my eyes could adjust and the shadows shifted, and we stand before you today. Yeah. When I hear Jesus speak about his disciples as the light of the world, I wonder about what kind of light we are. Do we illumine or do we blind? Do we light the way out of dangerous places or do we create dangerous situations? Much the same could be asked about the church as salt. Salt can save a meal. It can also ruin one. Don't look at each other. This is not the time for that. <laughs> Depending on the meal, salt can be such a blessing, but it can also be a curse. In the same way, depending on the intensity of the light and the situation, light can do profound harm. It can also do profound good and be a profound blessing. What strikes me about our scripture readings today is that when Jesus calls his disciples the salt of the earth and the light of the world, he speaks of the church as a group of people who exist for the sake of the world, for the good of the world. The salt exists to give flavor the lamp is there to give light to all in the house. And it's in benefiting the world, in blessing and doing good to the earth, that glory is given to our Father in heaven. God is honored when the earth is blessed with salt and light. What does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be a blessing or to receive a blessing? What's it mean to bless? I've been thinking about this because, much like salt and light, the way we speak blessing can do profound good as well as profound harm. I'm thinking of those moments a person might be sitting in their hospital bed with a terminal diagnosis, and a well-meaning person comes to them to explain how their illness is a blessing in disguise. Or when, again, a well-meaning person hears the Beatitudes of Jesus, hears, blessed are the poor in spirit, and comes to believe that poverty really must not be so bad after all. This very passage of Scripture, rather than conferring a blessing on the poor, has so often been used to try to convince the poor to be content with their poverty, for they have the Lord's blessing, after all. So here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount... We're going to be spending three weeks in the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. Jesus gathers his disciples to himself. And with the world, the crowd around them looking on, he starts to teach them about what it means to be his people by teaching them about blessing. That's where he begins. And it's in getting blessing right that they can become salt and light that blesses the world. So let's get blessing right. What's it mean to be blessed? 
Think about the way we use that word. What do we use it to describe? This past week, I searched through Twitter to see how hashtag blessed is trending these days. To be completely honest, I was expecting to see it uniformly identified with materialism, with health, wealth, and prosperity. I was surprised to find a pretty decent range for how it was used. There was a lot of usage connected to gratitude for relationships, for example. A lot of gratitude for the ordinary and mundane. A lot for life itself. Let me give you a few examples. One person used it to describe the best surprise birthday party ever. Another to announce, quote, married my best friend yesterday. A lot of parents celebrating their kids. A picture of a dad reading to a preschool class, a birth announcement, a mom bragging on her daughter for being inducted into the beta club. And some parents celebrating their children for nothing in particular, just hashtag blessed to be with them. I did see one expressing gratitude for the continued health of a certain border collie. Let's not exclude the pets who are also our children. There was no shortage of stunningly beautiful images of sunrises and sunsets, sunsets that weren't trying to kill anybody. Just sheer gratitude for the beauty of this world. And along that line, too, there was a significant amount of recognition just how much of a blessing it is to be alive. Quote, if you can read this tweet, you are alive. Be thankful. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag gratitude. Here's one that really puts things into perspective. Quote, I woke up this morning. I'm not in jail. I'm not dead. Hashtag blessed. That one reminds me of something I learned while I was a chaplain at an urban ministry in Greensboro, North Carolina. During our chapel services, the residents and guests, many of them homeless, unemployed, and hungry, would often begin their prayers, Lord, thank you for waking me up this morning. I use that prayer to this day. All this being said, in my highly controlled and deeply scientific study that I conducted of Twitter last Thursday afternoon, the most frequent usage of hashtag blessed that I saw was related to sports. A lot of high school students who had just received verbal or written agreements to play college sports, mostly football, just got verbal agreement to play for Ole Miss, hashtag blessed, stuff like that. I saw a tweet from Kurt Warner, quarterback who once led the Rams while they were still in St. Louis to Super Bowl glory 20 years ago. He had retweeted someone's commentary about him that used hashtag blessed to describe his journey, how far he'd come. Quote, an undrafted quarterback making the NFL minimum of $254,000 a year. It's low for the NFL. It's... Yeah, I know. He led the St. Louis Rams to the Super Bowl title. Warner, who a few years before that was working the graveyard shift for $550 an hour at a high V, wins regular season and Super Bowl MVP. I had to smile at that one because you need to know the Rams were my team back in the day. And that roster, too, from 20 years ago, Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk, Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce, they were my first love in sports. And pulling for that team was also my first childhood exposure to disappointment. It was Super Bowl 36, And the Rams were playing the New England Patriots. And we know how this goes. <laughs> 
We were so close too, and the time flaw comes out of nowhere with that interception, runs it back. It's fine, it's fine. Here's what I'm getting at. The frequent usage of hashtag blessed in connection with sports struck me in large part because I've been watching a significant public trend of athletes in particular declaring divine blessing over their victories. Y'all have noticed this too, right? It's usually in the post-game interview with someone from the winning team. I'm sure we'll see an example tonight after the Super Bowl. All the athleticism, the skill, the resources poured into the years of training will be attributed to divine blessings from above, and all glory will be given to God for the victory. Now, it is one thing for an athlete, or anyone for that matter, to recognize God as the source of all that is good in this life, to recognize that we never get to where we are alone, and to speak of blessing in the form of gratitude. It's an awareness that, God, I have so much, and I'm so thankful. I think we get that in all sorts of ways. To stay with sports for a minute, blessed with a hole in one. Number seven. Number seven. <laughs> and, and good friends to celebrate with. Yes. <laughs> No comment, no comment. There are moments of blessed transcendence that happen all the time in sports. I know how I feel when I hit an ace, like at the couple I hit last Thursday night. Something happens, just saying, something happens when body and mind are so in sync and everything just lines up. Things happen in slow motion. Sometimes it's unconscious, and we feel completely transported. But it's not just about the good things that happen to us, right? It's that sense of the fullness and goodness and beauty of life that even Twitter users seem to have an awareness of in their comments about relationships. We get glimpses of it in those moments we share with those we love, those holy and precious moments when we can't believe we have the privilege to have these people in our lives. It's easy to get blasted with that blessedness and the beauty of the earth, especially in this region. Those breathtaking mountains, peaceful mornings on the lake, sunsets, again, when the sun's not trying to kill you, sunsets painted with arrangements of colors and clouds that just don't seem possible, stars that make us feel so small and in the best way. Or, in that still moment, after or even during one of life's storms. And you sit and you think, I'm going to be okay, because everything I need is right here. It's rare and never to be taken for granted. It's one thing to talk about being blessed in that way. I'd call that getting a glimpse of what God meant in calling this world good. It is quite another thing to claim God had a hand in winning the Super Bowl. I'm just going to say it. Probably not the best use of heavenly resources right now. There's kind of a lot going on. Okay, God can pay attention to more than one thing at one time. Fine. The bigger issue has to do with what happens when we say someone or some group is blessed because of a circumstance that seems particularly favorable. If we say someone's blessed by God because something goes well for them, 
What's that imply about everyone else who doesn't share that same condition? If a team can say they're blessed by God because they win, what's that mean for the other team? Cursed. We were worried there for a bit about the Red Sox and the Cubs. They shook it. Cleveland Browns, though. <laughs> what I'm talking about is the way we describe God's relationship with what we call the good and bad things that happen to us. Is that the way God's blessing manifests in our lives? Through good things happening? Through the victories and the successes, the achievements and good health? Think about that truly wonderful moment when you realize you've gotten over an illness. That's the best, isn't it? That morning you wake up and realize you don't feel like garbage anymore. Is that because God blessed us with good health? What about for those who don't recover? Did God withhold the blessing? How about financial stability? Being debt-free, getting a raise, that all sounds pretty good. But are those signs of God's blessing? If they are, then what's it mean when someone becomes financially unstable, when they're drowning in debt, if they get laid off? Did God send curses instead? One of the most harmful things we as people of faith can do is take God's blessing away from those who so desperately need it and in the moments when they need it the most, in times of loss and hurt, in mourning and in poverty. The Beatitudes do not speak of blessing in terms of good or even borderline ideal circumstances. According to the Beatitudes, God's, God's blessing does not manifest in our lives by good things happening to us. Quite obviously, if you look at these verses, most of them do not describe situations any one of us would choose. Blessed are the poor in spirit. These are people impoverished in any number of ways, from their economic status to the declining number of their relationships to their complete brokenness of heart. Blessed are those who mourn, who bear grief for themselves or for others, for this world. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, especially in this world that so often seems to lack it. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and are all kinds of evil against you falsely. Who wants that? And blessed are the peacemakers. Well, bless their hearts, maybe. Who wants to take on that task of bringing peace to this violent world? No one looking on those people here described would say to themselves, yeah, too blessed to be stressed. No. And this is the point with the Beatitudes. They speak blessing upon people enduring conditions that our world does not call blessed, but that Jesus does. It's a reversal of our values, a new way of seeing our world through the lens of God's kingdom, where victory, health, and wealth are not the necessary signs of God's blessing, and by the same token, where poverty, illness, and loss are not signs of God's cursing or God's absence. I remember hearing this Christian school teacher explain to me how he sets up his history class for his students. He begins with this grand theology of history, a way to interpret God's will and purpose, working in all things. And the way he laid it out for them was to say, 
that in the present moment, we don't necessarily know if a particular nation, for example, is working out God's will and purpose. But if over time they are blessed with material prosperity, with victory, with growth as a nation, that is a sign God has blessed them, that they must be doing God's work after all, because they have succeeded. And if God is good and providential, then why would the Lord let them succeed if they were not doing his will? What a wonderful way to justify power and strength, as though might were always right. If you'd like to take a page from that great modern political philosopher of the ends justify the means, Machiavelli, then sure, go ahead. It was all about that idea of fortune favoring the bold, that the good ruler is the one who takes control with audacity and violence. If you can take it, it's yours, and if you can keep it, you deserve it. The flip side to that, of course, is that if you're poor, if you're on the losing side of history, it's because you deserve that too. And because God is not on your side, but on the side of the people who beat you. I don't really remember these being Christ's key teachings. And they certainly don't line up with the theology of blessing and the Beatitudes. Remember what Jesus will say to us later in the Sermon on the Mount. Our Heavenly Father makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous alike. No, contrary to that history teacher's prosperity theology, if anything, what Jesus is teaching us here is that the violent, no matter how much land they take, no matter how much they control, no matter how powerful and prosperous they are, if they do not embody the righteousness and the love of God, theirs is most emphatically not the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, not the mighty, the peacemakers, not the peacebreakers, the pure in heart, not the arrogant. The Beatitudes teach us where God's kingdom is happening and who it's happening among. They speak of blessedness not in terms of material success or in everything going well, but in terms of the direction of God's favor, of the way God's grace is working in our world. It's the work of the Spirit in Isaiah 61, which was not so incidentally scripture reading of Jesus' first sermon at his home church. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort all who mourn. This is the character of God's kingdom and the character of blessing, to lift up those who are bowed down, to fill those who are empty, to empower, to heal, to set free. The blessing of the Beatitudes is not to make the poor comfortable in their poverty or to convince the grief-stricken to be happy in their mourning because their losses are blessings in disguise, but to bring the good news to the poor and those who mourn. Blessed are you, the kingdom is yours, because despite appearances, God is among you working to put this world right. The poor are blessed because God is among them, working for their deliverance. It's not a mistake that this is the first thing Jesus teaches his disciples in Matthew's gospel, and that the last thing he teaches them is that he will always be among them 
through the least of these. That is where the kingdom is happening, where God is at work. And it's in entering that work as the church, struggling for righteousness and wholeness and healing and love, no matter how much it costs us, that we become the blessing of salt and light to the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.